from the University of Denver's Media, Film, and Journalism Studies Department. This is Carlos Jimenez. Before we get started today, I wanted to ask you for a favor. I wanted to hear from students about something good that's happened to you. In a time of so much chaos, craziness, we really want to highlight the good in our lives. So check us out on social media for how to send us an audio recording. Today's episode is hosted by student producers Julia Martis and Tony Elton, and which features stories from our DU students Nicole Barker, Haley Piaz, and Emily Goldberg, who created these stories in our audio documentary class. And thank you for listening. I'm Julia Murtis, a first-year journalism major here at DU. And I'm Tony Elton, a fellow first-year journalism major, and you're listening to PioCast, a University of Denver podcast meant to amplify voices in the DU and Colorado community. On this podcast episode, we are discussing the topic of mental health. Currently, while isolation and limited social contact are essential to the safety of ourselves and others, caring for our mental health should be a top priority. It's true. I think that of all the things that the COVID-19 pandemic has proved true to us, one is that mental health needs to be destigmatized and it affects all people in varying situations and walks of life. Absolutely. A specific moment I remember was back in early March when the pandemic was just beginning, but things were still open. So the seeds of uncertainty and fear were just being planted in all of our lives. And I remember being so excited for my senior prom and buying a black dress. Little did I know that by the end of the month, not only was prom called off, but school was canceled too. And then I was stuck inside for two months. I struggled a lot during that time to accept just the sheer shock of everything that had been taken away from our normal lives, and it led to a lot of feelings of loneliness and loss. I can definitely relate to that, Julia. I remember when quarantine began, too. I felt so isolated being away from a lot of my closest friends and much of my family. I was confronted with this kind of dark cloud that made me think that my life was at sort of a standstill. It was a very hard thing to deal with. With that being said, we want to now share three stories that explore the unexpected moments of life and their effect on our mental health, a topic that has become central in many of our lives as we face a global pandemic. We also hope to provide various ways in which we can learn to cope and overcome in hopes of destigmatizing mental health. Our first story tells the tale of how one man coped with multiple family tragedies in his life by pursuing a creative outlet that also honored his late brother. Eight years ago, his dad drank himself to death. Six years ago, his brother committed suicide. This is a story about finding and picking yourself back up after a tragedy through an expressive medium, music. I picked up the guitar because uh, my brother had started playing guitar when he was 19 and he killed himself when he was 22. I just remember he was playing Blackbird by the Beatles a lot and I was like, really impressed by that because he was playing the finger picking stuff and singing along with it after he had been playing guitar for a couple years and he just kind of taught himself to do that he was really into the blues at that time and he had a friend one of my closest friends at school um, who he had been playing in a band with and i inherited my brother's guitar i guess so then i took it over to my friend's house to try and sell it to him or give it to him and he said um no he didn't want it and that he would have me like sit down and learn something like he would give me a lesson or teach me a little bit how to play and I had a lot of fun and I was like really hooked on the guitar after that so I was like in between summer like I just turned 18 or something and I was about to go to college um, and move away from home so I had that acoustic guitar and I just started playing it every day and I really played it every day since then it feels good to play my brother's guitar 
I just really something inside of me was very anxious and um, sad and upset and just hurt about different things and wanted to sing and uh, didn't really know how to express that you know and I felt more comfortable behind the guitar kind of touched my soul in a way after I started digging that for a while it was like just natural that I would stumble upon different players that would influence me different ways and then I would start to think about like um, kind of singing through the guitar you know and finding like all the different endless capabilities of it as like an expressive and melodic instrument like I could just feel it from you know I'd always wanted to play when I was a little kid and I never did and I thought when I my brother died I thought it would be weird to play the guitar you know and I thought that that wasn't really for me to do so if I wasn't pushed to do it I would have never had the confidence and I would have told myself that I wasn't capable of it you know so if I say that I can't then I won't be able to but so now I just don't say that like even even talking about saying I can't play something makes me gives me the heebie-jeebies you know because I want to play um I just want to have like the positive mindset that makes me able to play everything and like able to hear play what I hear and stuff so I've you know that's brought me to where I'm now with all the wonderful support that I've had and all the help that I've had coming to like starting to be able to make my living playing you know which is like been the goal so that i don't have to you know spend time away from playing because people need music and uh, people will always be looking for music and be searching for like a conduit for that emotional energy which is like spoken through music and like i always think of music as like you're like a snake charmer charming people we've seen great performers like affect the course of history you know like really touch the world in ways that are like supposed to not happen yeah definitely feel my brother um kind of with me when i play you might say which is like a strange thing that i don't really understand but yeah it's definitely true This story beautifully proves how the power of music can carry us through difficult times. Next, we look at another tale of mental health and hardship. A young woman named M who shares her story of how she overcame an eating disorder and changed her relationship with food. It was in Auckland, New Zealand. We were in like the bay, the twinkling stars. I mean, it was getting late at night and you could hear the ocean and you could smell the ocean. This, this restaurant was literally right on the water. like right there and I went and I sat at the bar you know I flirted with the bartender a little all that stuff and then I was like you know what I'm hungry and I was I'd already I'd already eaten that day too which is what makes me laugh so much is like I would never have done that before I was like I'm hungry can I get a dozen oysters and I slurped those down really fast and oysters are my favorite food I don't know maybe because it tastes like the sea but when I was sitting at that bar I was like you know what I want a dozen more oysters and I'm pretty sure I ate about 40 something, 48 oysters on it. But I had no guilt in the fact that I was still eating them. Like pure happiness, like happiness you don't usually feel like it's very fleeting. You know, they say people are like, oh, I'm a, such a happy person. You can't be happy all the time. That's bullshit. So the first time I met Em, I saw this feisty ball of fun. Her eyes were bright with excitement because honestly, how else does a freshman look when they have their first taste of freedom in college? I guess I just remember her always with a smile on her face too. 
my breaking point was just such a self-hatred like it wasn't there wasn't anything valuable about food or dinner mental health can be tricky because we all have a past that we can either decide to share or keep hidden the secrecy of our insecurities or our struggles can make us feel better because then we don't have to face the judging eyes of others it can seem like a good idea i guess but letting our vulnerable moments breathe are when the growth can really start to begin an eating disorder. I had anorexia and bulimia and I just never felt fit or skinny enough. You know the effects. Everyone tells you the effects of what eating disorders have but it doesn't matter if your body is going to eat itself, if it's going to deteriorate, if your stomach's going to lose its lining and stuff like that, if your hair is going to fall out, like you don't care. Oh and if you could go infertile. Doesn't matter. You just don't want to look the way you do at yourself in the mirror. Food has always been something I've struggled with looking at it with such despise and I just hated food. It was the absolute worst, it was my enemy. And now food is my best friend. And to be able to really indulge myself and be like, I can eat this and I can explore this is just such a wonderful like change of pace. Em is so brave, no doubt about it. She challenges herself to do better, to be better and to live better all the time. That's why I think she became involved with the Mile High and Hungry Instagram influencer account. It wasn't the Instagram itself, it's what it meant for her relationship with food. She can now relish in an empowering group of chefs, innovating, creating, and exploring flavors that she now knows she's deserving of having. Just because I had such a poor relationship with food, I never would have imagined having a food Instagram. And honestly, backpacking really changed my view on food because I was out there for about a month and just it's like become such a vital thing to live like if you don't eat this you won't have energy to make it to the next campsite i had learned to understand that i needed food to survive and to thrive okay so we do this funny thing where we take candid pictures of each other out at these restaurants there's so many of them actually unhinging her jaw to take a bite and it's in those minor moments that it's easy to see any fear she once had absolutely vanish. Just like that half of a burger, fried chicken sandwich, or a pork belly bun. For a second, you feel cured, but then two weeks after, a week after, reality hits that you're not cured, you're just past the giant hump of where you're in immediate danger, and now you have a lot of fucking work to do. It's really not about being perfect. And people know that on the surface level. But in reality, it's hard to get to that place. I would say keep going. Um, don't ask it all from yourself either. You're not going to get better overnight. And just, just keep living, if that makes sense. It may be just an Instagram at first look, but it represents a community surrounding food. She's not alone by any means in overcoming an eating disorder. 28.8 million people in the U.S. have had similar feelings to her. So I can't commend her enough for sharing her story and advice with others. I think it's just taught me, honestly, that the things that, that bring you the most anxiety in life can also, and like the most pain, can also be the things that bring you the most joy. With M's message of just keep living in mind, our final story is about a woman named Anne who spent time in a rehabilitation center and how her life was changed as a result.
bug house, funny We farm, don't like imagining how people end asylum, up there. Laughing But academy, the answer often is... Lunatic asylum. Mad house. More easily than you think. From electric shock therapy to female hysteria, mental illness has long been belittled and stigmatized in the United States. This stigmatization has cast a shadow that erases the narratives of millions of people. So, I called Anne, someone I knew who would be willing to share her experience and be honest about it. She told me about life before. I was so depressed, like I couldn't do anything. Life during. There were rules about where you could and couldn't be, and like who you could and could not talk to. And life after. A little like getting out of prison. Being treated, or as she would say. (laughs) Incarcerated. In an American rehabilitation center. Rehab. My like last semester, senior year of college, I completely just dropped out of school. Dropped out of life, basically. Stopped going to school. I stopped leaving my house completely. I don't think I took a shower for like two months. I would drink like a pot and a half of coffee a day and still sleep like 18 hours a day. So eventually the school sent a police officer to do a wellness check. Physically, I mean, I probably smelled bad, but looked fine. And I was like, oh, I'm totally fine. Yeah, I'm good. And he was like, because you're from Texas. I'm from Oklahoma. How's that football, huh? And I was like, oh, yeah, it looks great. I love the football. He, like, left, and he reported back to the school that I wasn't dead. Finally, my mentor called my mom directly and was like, you should probably come get her. So my mom showed up. Like, she's flown from Texas to Florida, where I go to school. <laughs> my mom's a lawyer, so she just came with a bunch of paperwork, and she was like, you need to do this and that, draw from school, sign this line, initial here, I turned it into this office. So she leaves, and I don't do any of that stuff at all. So a week later, my mentor calls her again, and she's like, you just need to come and get your child because she's not well. I got back to Austin. I was living with my mom there. She has trouble dealing with, you know, people in mental health crises. Most people do. My mom sent me back to a therapist that I had went to when I was a teenager. That therapist was like, I think you really need to go to an inpatient facility. And he recommended this one in Santa Fe because he used to work there. Anne agreed to go to Santa Fe because she was willing to do anything anyone suggested. She spent the final days of that year bedridden, crippled by depression as her family celebrated the holidays in the next room. January came and Anne had her bags packed, bags that would later be subjected to the search and seizure policy within the rehab. Anything containing alcohol was kept at the front desk she could rent out her shampoo and conditioner periodically. The facility predictably had rules. Stay in sight, keep clean, and always go to therapy. Some rules had more merit than others. And you're also not allowed to masturbate in your room. And like, I had depression, so I was like, I'm not sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So this was not a problem for me. She told me about the monotony of her routine. We would have gaps in the day when there's nothing to do. You can't, you can't leave campus. You don't want to be distracted from your recovery. Yeah, we watched a lot of Jerry Springer, which 
you know, you decide if that's healthy or not. Did you ever feel like your problems didn't compare to the others? Oh my god, yeah. It's every, my, uh, yeah, the answer is yes, because everyone, everyone seemed to have a story that was so much worse. Like, I felt like a fraud, but they tell you an intake, and my therapist, like, you'll, you won't even know why you're there compared to other people, and they tell you that during the intake process, too. Like, one lady who grew up in a cult, when she was five or six, at a ceremony where they sacrificed like a newborn baby and she would witness all of that I mean it was bananas obviously going into rehab is very difficult what is getting out like it surprisingly sucks a lot Um, and you like I was so ready to go ready to run loose and eat what I wanted to eat and stay up you know past that time and but then when I got out suddenly you know all there's a big wide world and I had to make all the decisions and it I really I mean I've never been to prison but I think it's a little like getting out of prison where it's like you suddenly you don't have that routine and you don't have people telling you what to do all the time and um, it was just very overwhelming I wanted to be kind of in a cocoon again, you know, that safety. Um, they say when you get out of rehab, the first six to 12 months is like the most, you're the most vulnerable. Um, and I, that's absolutely true. You know, I still wake up days and just really have a hard time. But. Um, yeah, there is a point where you just talk about yourself so much that you really just kind of get over it. It's been over seven years since you left school. In 2020, you will be seven years out of rehab. What are you doing now? Oh my gosh. I managed a small hotel. I became, while I was in Santa Fe, I actually became a production weaver hand weaver and a studio assistant for an artist try to have a social life options are limited but I do I do my best she's also finishing her undergraduate degree she only had one semester left a few years ago Anne posted to her blog today I was stuck behind a funeral procession This is the first time I didn't wish I was the one in the coffin. By no means is Anne cured. She's the first to tell you that she never will be. She still faces her mental illness every day. But the difference is, she does face it. You go in so fragile and you come out so fragile. You meet some wonderful people and you meet some people who you don't know why they bother existing, really. Although I didn't really enjoy it very much. Um, it really was helpful, and I don't know if I could have gotten to the place that I'm at today without it. This episode has really highlighted how, in our society, it can be incredibly challenging to acknowledge and cope with mental health issues. 
In reality, mental health is a constant thing we should always be working on and discussing, even if it's still somewhat taboo. At the end of the day, especially these days, we are really just realizing how important it is that we not only seek help when we need it, but that we also learn from others' experiences and be patient. It takes time for us to truly become aware of ourselves, our needs, and our flaws. Healing and becoming stronger is a process that can take many different forms. We hope this episode amplified the voices of those who have coped with mental health issues and inspired you to find ways to improve yours. This episode is produced by myself and Julia, editing by Lucy Richardson. Thank you for your managing editor, Carlos Jimenez, and assistant editor, Callum Eager. We'd also like to thank the University of Denver's Media, Film, and Journalism Studies Department.